family. You can leave that one up, Lori, right there if you would. Go back to Young at Heart if you can. I don't know if you can go back to those, but Young at Heart's going to be Tuesday night at 6 p.m. It's kind of a restart, a reboot. And uh, Sister Jeannie Abbott's taking the baton from Sister Judy Jenkins and going to work with Eva and some others and casting a, a, a restart of Young at Heart. Uh, the meal is potluck, and it is sandwiches and salad. And I want to encourage you to come out. Though I am a long, long ways from being officially a member of Young at Heart, I do plan to be there to help support them in this ministry. So Sister Sherry and I will be there this Tuesday. We want to invite you to come out and be a part of it. It's going to be a great night. There's going to be a little bit of discussion made about some, uh, perhaps some activities that Young at Heart is contemplating on this, uh, this fall. So uh, uh, if you haven't been, come out. It'll be a good night. Good night to see uh, Sister Jeannie and, and pass that to her. She's actually a part of Destiny Ministries, working for Dr. Brassfield he and, uh, and he and uh, Sister Kathy, and they are ministering in Searcy this morning, and so Jeannie is with them, but she is excited to be a part of uh, Young at Heart as we kind of restart it, so it's very, very exciting. I hate to interrupt that beautiful sound of fellowship because it's wonderful to see church family connect right, and uh, get to know one another. I think Joe may have already told you, but we do appreciate visitors that are courageous enough to come amongst such a crazy group as we are at times, and uh, we appreciate very much you coming out and being a part of our service, and uh, we're thankful, again, that the temperatures have dropped. A cold front has pushed into our area, and it's 91 is our high today, and I'm celebrating it. I'm just, I mean, celebrating it. So, um, but it, there's, there's other things that are, that are on. Let me put, say one last thing real quickly. Next Sunday, I know they've already mentioned that, but we, we were scheduled to host um, the Allstate Youth Choir last year when we uh, kind of had a little push of COVID or whatever it was, and it just didn't seem to be right to go ahead, right or wrong. It d- didn't seem to be right at that moment to have it. And so Cersei First Assembly of God uh, stepped up and pinched hit for us, and, and we appreciate that. But we're very excited that they're able to be in service. You know, two of the members on this platform uh, every Sunday are a part of the Allstate Youth Choir. And uh, so we're, we're excited to have them. We're, we appreciate those that are going to host uh, some of the students in their home or somebody that might be preparing a meal for them. But I want to encourage you to come out. Now, it's going to mean parking will be more difficult. We're a centrally located church. So a lot of their families travel with them because it's only from Sunday to Sunday. So it's about, is that eight or nine days? Right, days, And um, so it, we'll have a big crowd next week. We will squeeze these chairs together and bring in about another 100 seats just to make sure that we have ample room. But do not let that deter you. I mean, if you, and, and, and I encourage you for next week, I'll do it on the phone tree. If you can park in, in Harps Parking or over at the library, do so to open up additional parking for that very special service. And, uh, but, but come out expecting, you know, get behind this group of young adults as they, as they use their gifts for God. Isn't that right? So listen, I want to ask you here today to turn with me to um, a familiar passage of Scripture to many, and that's in James chapter number 1. We're going to stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. It's only two verses of Scripture that we're going to read to open this, um, this message here today. I'm so honored that you give me the time to share what the Lord lays on my heart, I feel uh, incomplete at times and, you know, um, not measured up enough, but I trust God's anointing. That's, that's my goal and prayer is 
You know, we need the supernatural giftings of God. Here it says, two verses, James the apostle is writing. He says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. That's a good place to say amen. Right? As a matter of fact, this, let's read that again. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Well, since we read verse 26 twice, I think we, it, it behooves us to read verse 27 one more time. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So today, I want to talk to you from those first two words of the 27th verse. Now, obviously, I'm going to allude to many other words in these two verses, but I'm going to use this as a title, pure religion, pure religion. I'm going to ask you to pray with me even now that God would put a word in your ears. He's put it in my heart. I pray that he would give us the grace to uh, share it and you the grace to receive it. Amen? Lord, we're so grateful to be in a house of worshipers whose hearts were set after yours. I'm thankful for the men and the women that are gathered here today, and I pray, I pray, Lord, that God today, that you have already ministered, as they ministered to you, you ministered to them. But even now, let the heart be ready to receive the engrafted word. Father, you know my heart in this matter, and you know my, uh, Father, the thoughts that I've been struggling with or also anticipating, and I pray, God, that you will help, help today, God. Give me the tongue of the learned that I might have a word in season for he that is weary. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Oh, how I appreciate you honoring the reading of the Word of God by standing here today. And before I go into the Scriptures today, let me take a moment of time to share with you just a little bit of personal testimony or personal accountability. I've tried to be very transparent along this journey, but I found myself just kind of, I always go back and listen to my sermons and uh, as I've told you before, um, and to, to try to just kind of, you know, listen. If Sometimes you have to go back and clean up something that you may have said or you need to uh, uh, just make sure that you said it in the right spirit or whatever. And I found that what I've, I've kind of fallen into a trap out of a little bit of the frustrations that I've had about the political climate in the United States and not only the political climate, but the decline of the culture and some of the agendas that we see that just simply see uh, attempting to impose agendas upon uh, the, 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 the culture. I have found myself, it seems like every sermon that I preach, I've just got a wraparound effect. I'm even, I mask it, and I find myself kind of coming right back to that. And, and I found myself just a little bit grieved from that. And, and I always want to be faithful. I always want to be faithful. I don't mind that I, the fact that I believe that it's, it's important that I speak about cultural issues and even address things that can be deemed political because I've said this before. I'll say it again. Your political views are a direct reflection of your religious views or of your faith. And so with this, though, at the same time, I don't want every time we come together, it's just a little bit more of a, uh, what you hear through the week. It needs to be different and distinct. And so I, I, I set my heart before God on Friday in my sermon preparation. And I said, Lord, I've got to. 
I've got, if I need to call time out to just make sure I'm reading differently, thinking differently, pondering differently. Because when you read the Word of God, there was a lot that God was doing during uncertain times. Right? And so I can't get caught up in the thought that, well, this is happening in the political arena, this is, and that God can't move in that context. God can move when He chooses to move, when people believe Him for it. And so I'm, I've been judging myself. The Scripture says if you judge yourself, you'll not be judged. And so as I got up and began to pray, and, and I, I woke up so, uh, Friday morning, and these two, this is the way the Lord does this for me. may not do it for you, but just these two words dropped in my spirit almost from the time that my eyes first opened early that morning. It was pure religion. And I knew, and then God confirmed it through the study about pure religion because I knew exactly what that was for, and, and I knew exactly what that was from, the text it was, and I knew that God was saying, focus on this for a little while. Now, here's the reality. The, the word religion casts immediate presumptions in your mind when you hear it, just the word religion. And the reality is, if you are a part of the Pentecostal charismatic church, spirit-filled believers typically don't even like to be associated with the word religion. That's my observation. As a matter of fact, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, maybe you're wearing a cross or something like this, they'll say, well, are you? I lost a little bit of volume here, so I'd like it back if I can get it. Uh, just that thought that says, you know, are you religious? And you're like, no, I'm not religious. I, you may say things like, I'm a follower or I'm a believer in Christ Jesus, but, but no, I'm not religious. And um, it's been my observation that many times um, charismatic believers uh, often attempt to bind or fight against what they call a religious spirit, binding the devil as if they've truly discerned a demon named religion. So let me just say this today in the American culture in which we live. Rather than binding religion, I'm going to say this. We need to lose religion. I'll tell you what. In our country and in this church and in the church of America and even in my life personally, I, could, I think we could use a good dose of religion, especially pure religion. I really believe that we could. And so, so let me, if we put everybody on the same page. For a minute. So what is religion then, Pastor? What is it as it's defined? You know, sometimes you have to go into the, the original uh, language of the scriptural text, which is Greek in the New Testament, to try to expound. And that's part of study. How I many know it's very important to not just read the Bible, but to study the Bible, right? Because you broaden and you deepen. And the word religion appears five times in the authorized version of the Bible. The King James Version. It's used three times by Paul and two times in this text here in James. It's the only times it's used in the New Testament. Each time that Paul uses religion, he is referring to Judaism. And he actually says it this way. He doesn't call it his religion. He says the Jews' religion. Three times. So he uses it a little bit negatively. But if we were to define it, I think the cumulative definition would be this. It's a ceremonial worshiping of God. To be pious or devoted to one's faith. That makes you religious. Whether you want to call yourself religious or not, if you have authentic faith in God, then you're religious in the right context. Right? It begins with what you believe. But it expresses itself in what you do and how you live. So pure religion to James and the other apostles, is actually, it actually commences in the next verse. So we're going to put chapter 2, verse 1 on because I want to address this for a moment of time. Here it says, and notice the first word, the words here. He says, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. With respect to prayer. But just pause. Look at the first part of that. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. So pure, undefiled before God religion is to have authentic faith in Christ. It's more than just to believe in God. 
So a lot of people believe in God who are not religious. So let me, did you know there was a poll that was conducted by Gallup about three weeks ago? They released their studies, and it was in the context of, is America religious? Or does Americans, do Americans believe in God? Did you know that 81% of the men and women that uh, Father, that, that, that function as Americans that live in America that you work with every day. 81% believe in God. But I want you to know today, believing in God is not the pure religion that James is talking about. Matter of fact, the Bible, Paul, James himself would later said, oh, you believe? Well, the devils believe. So it's far more and it's far deeper than this. In 1 John 5, verse number 11, it says this, this is the record. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath the life, and he that hath not the Son of God does not have life. And so you could be a part of the 81%. Matter of fact, let me even go farther than this. Let's break this down for you, because they broke it down according to political agendas here. 81% say they believe in God. That's down 6% from 2017. In America today, 17% of American citizens profess that they do not believe in the existence of an eternal, omnipotent God. In the 40s through the 60s in the United States, it was 98% that believed in God. So you can see the decline in the American culture. And, and this is where it's found its, greater, its greatest transition is the liberal community. This is not written from, this is going to show both the liberal community, 62% believe in God. The young adults that identify themselves as liberal, 68%. Democrats believe in God, 72%. Conservatives, 94% believe in God. And Republicans, 92%. But I'm going to go ahead and supersede both political parties today. Just because you're a Republican or a Democrat and you confess that you believe in God does not mean that, mean that you have pure religion that's undefiled before God. Because it begins with an authentic faith in Christ. You trust in Jesus. God's dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every person born of a woman has the capacity to believe. And we take that capacity to believe and we put it and we trust in someone. Who is that someone? It is Yeshua who is the Christ who gave his life on a tree called Calvary to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so with this, without the acknowledgement of your sin, if you fail to acknowledge that you were separated from God by the sin of Adam and your own transgression, because we've all sinned. And come short of the glory of God. I can even remember, and we defended Trump many times, but when President Trump years ago was asked about, you know, had he repented of his sins, he said, I didn't know I needed to repent. He didn't feel like he had a need to repent. Well, let me tell you, Donald, you have a need to repent, right? And, and so that's for, whether that be all the way at the White House or whether it be your neighbor next door, there's a need to repent before God and trust in Jesus' death on the cross for merciful atonement. And then you can start the journey of pure religion because it is a beginning, it is not an ending, right? And now, according to James, as we begin to dialogue, what, I think we need pure religion. I believe we need to see it in the church, and I believe we need to see it in our culture. According to James, pure religion includes, first, bridling your own tongue. Bridling your own tongue. Well, I know I should switch back to repentance right now. Because sometimes those go hand in hand, don't they? He mentions this briefly in this passage here, but a little bit farther in the epistle. 
James gives almost an entire commentary on the positive and the negative power of the tongue, including a strong rebuke for those who bless God, yet curse men. And he even culminates with saying, can a fountain give forth sweet water and bitter water? In essence, I love what he said, and it's just being honest. Thank God that the apostles are courageous enough to tell the truth. He said that if you cannot bridle your own tongue, you have deceived your own heart, and you might call yourself religious, but your religion is in vain. In this corrupted generation, I would love to see pure religion revealed in what we say. I'm going to say it one more time. I would love to see pure religion reflected. Because I'm telling you, uh, people curse now like only sailors used to. And please forgive me if you were in the Navy. (laughs) Says a former Army man. (laughs) And so, oh Jesus, i got to be really careful on this one right here. But but the reality is today, you know, it used to be like, you don't need to talk like that in front of women and children. That's how you were brought up. Well, now let me tell you, women and children will make the hardest sailor blush many times. Sherry and I went out to eat Friday afternoon because we wanted to go to, to, uh, to Sam's uh, there in Conway. And after I finished my sermon press, about 3 or 4 o'clock, and I said, we need to go get something to eat so that we don't buy everything in the store. And so we stopped at a restaurant. We go in there, and fortunately, uh, 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 either forgot or did not know that they had a bar. And we go there, and there's only a, and I said, she said, where would you like to sit? And I said, I'd prefer not to sit around the bar or near the bar. And she said, this is the only place open. So we sat down. She brought us our water and our menus. And before she could come back to take our order, I'd already heard the, uh, the granddaddy of all dirty words uh, three times. And so I said, Sherry, let's go right now. And I apologized to the waitress, and I told her the reason for my leaving. I said to Sister Sherry, I said, I don't have to pay. Sometimes you have to hear things that you don't want to hear, but I don't have to pay to hear it. Right, so, and it's just, people have just lost all conviction about it whatsoever. Did you know from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? It's a reflection of your heart is what it is. And I'll tell you what, the, the culture needs to know that we're all going to give account for what we say. For with the words that we say, the Bible plainly says, so don't tell me that you have pure religion and you don't bridle your tongue. So I want to challenge you today, and that's beyond, cursing is more than just profanity. Right, cursing is when you are speaking negative words that can be destructive to the life of someone else. When you're speaking negative words about your family, you need to pluck those up and you need to be the first one in the altar repenting before God. I've said this years ago. I preached a message. I should have drawn it out of my, my sermon vault. And it was called, It's Not a Revival Teal. It's not a revival teal. What do you mean by that? It's not a revival just because somebody shakes in the altar. It's not a revival just because you fall forward or backwards in the altar. It's a revival when you get up off of the ground and you start speaking words of life, right, rather than bitter words of cursing, right, and sowing the seeds of death. The Bible says that there's the power of life and death is where it's contained in the tongue. And it's a reflection of what's hidden in your heart. And if you're going to be a person that's got true and pure religion before God, you better get a bridle on that tongue in Jesus' name. And don't tell me that you can't because the power of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you can give you the strength to change how you speak. I get so tired to say, well, forgive me of my French, or I'm sorry I say that, or I just got red hair and I get a little bit. No, no, no. If you are born again by the power of the Spirit of God, there's no excuse before God. Your religion is in vain. 
Pure religion says, I'm going to get a hold of it because I'm going to stand before God one day. And in eternity, God's got the time for every word of yours to be rehearsed before him in eternity. So I want my heart to be reflected in my mouth, my words. So pure religion. The Bible says we need to be swift to hear and slow to speak. That's the fruit of pure religion. I believe we need pure religion in America, don't you, church family? For James sandwiches the emphasis of pure religion with teaching and instructing on being a doer of the word and letting works validate your faith. So the immediate context prior to the, te- the, the two verses that I chose to read, the immediate context and the immediate context in chapter number two is in essence that faith without works is dead. So it's meaning if you have pure religion, it's more than just saying that you have pure religion. It's showing that you have pure religion. So when you do, or even if you, what you do or what you fail to do is a reflection of your faith. James concludes that faith without works is dead, right? And so theologians argue the possible contradictions of Paul and James's theology on justification as it's noted here, especially in chapter number two. My intent is to focus on James's emphasis that if you really have pure religion, it's going to be reflected in not only what you say, but what you do, right? James later emphasizes benevolence. We're going to put it up there real quickly, I think. In chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, and he, well, actually, it's even going back to verse 14. He says this. He says, what does it profit, my brothers, though a man say he have faith? Oh, I went to the church. I, I confess my sins. I say I believe in God. I trust the Lord. But if you don't have works, he said, can faith save him? There's the, there's the division or perhaps the contention between Paul's doctrine. But he said this, he said, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and you're a part of the word of faith community and you just simply speak over them and say, I bless you in the name of the Lord, depart. And by faith, you be warmed and be healed and be filled. And notwithstanding, you've got the resources, I'm paraphrasing, to give them those things, but you don't give them those things which are needful to the body. What doth that profit? For he said, faith, if it does not have works... He said that it is dead. And so obviously, so there's some things that we can put our attention on and say, you know what, as a byproduct of my pure religion, one of the first things that begins to happen in my spirit is I begin to change what I say, my profession, my confession, the words that I say, immediately repenting of negative words, the words that are hurtful or harmful to somebody, especially those that are around me. But at the same time, I must be quickly about the Father's business. Uh, reflecting that faith in what I do, not in just what I say. And so obviously there are many other works that you and I can be a part of than just the fatherless and the widows. But I'll tell you what, there are many other vulnerable or downcast or hurting people, but it seems like James is taking it to the very extreme in his day to validate and in his culture to teach the principle. So let's just talk about that briefly. The fatherless. The fatherless begins first with orphans. And then beyond that, it's for those that perhaps have the, has an absent father and without a father in their life. Their father's alive, but their father's not absent or is, is absent in their life. And then he also takes it to the widows. In James's day, unlike the time that we live in today, Christian benevolence had not yet reached the effect that it has had on the culture today. Most of the good that's done culturally in the areas of orphans and widows comes from the church around the world. But by the time James is preaching, that's not the case. 
So, but with this, let me just go ahead and say this. It's that in, in the culture that we're talking about here, we can see these are two categories of human plight that existed then and they exist today. And you and I must be exhorted to do our part in serving and ministering to those people groups. Right? But let me take it a little farther. I think it's fair to say what the apostle is saying is he was using this extreme side, the most extreme, the most vulnerable people of his culture, the widows and the, or, and the orphans or the fatherless, and, and doing so to teach us that if you're really going to have pure religion, you've got to care for other people. You've got to be willing to vest yourself, that you've got to say, it's more than me just saying I'm going to be kind, I'm going to bless somebody. I've got to do it. I've got to go beyond just, again, a Sunday morning faith. James would later refer to what he calls the royal law according to Scripture. What is that? We'll put it on the screen. It's James chapter number 2, verse number 8. He said, if you fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, you will love your neighbor. Hmm. Someone asked Jesus in his ministry, and he said, Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? And Jesus responded real quickly, and he said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. And we could pause right there, and many of us that are religious would rejoice. But Jesus took it to the next level when he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so then one man asked him when Jesus was teaching, and he said, well, then, Lord, who is my neighbor? That's a fair question. And I think you have to explore it a little bit or you can't understand the context here about when James said that pure religion undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Jesus taught a parable in Luke chapter number 10. I didn't give them the text because I'm going to paraphrase it as we go for just a moment of time. It's familiar to many of us, but it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a powerful story, and Jesus put it in the context of his day, and he cites two cities, Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a seven-mile journey by foot from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's uh, through a very rugged part of the Judean hillside and wilderness, and it actually moves people into really narrow, rocky crags where thieves can hide. And the Scripture tells us in the parable of the narrative that Jesus is using to teach the principle that there is a man that had some business to conduct, and he's left out from Jerusalem. He's headed to Jericho, and he seems to have some measure of wealth the resources, but thieves have laid wait for him, and they saw him from afar. They're hidden in the nooks and crannies, and they jump on him, and they beat him, leaving him for half dead. They strip him of his clothing and take whatever money that he had and tuck him away in the bushes as much as they can, and they escape. And then Jesus, in order to address what he believed, the hypocrisy of, the, of, the, of Judaism in his day, the leaders of Judaism, the priests and the Levites, Jesus then takes the narrative a little farther, and he said, guess who's the first person driving along the bypass and sees the man laying over in the ditch? None other than the priest, the preacher, the pastors of First Assembly of God. And the pastors of First Assembly of God see him laying down in the ditch, and we go around on the other side. And then the next one are the deacons. We've been talking about deacons on Wednesday night. And so now the Levites, the Levites come along and they see the man and they too pass by on the other side. Before I tell you about who went down to the man, I've often been a little bit frustrated with this parable because there's a reason why possibly that the priest and the Levite went away from the man that they perceived to be dead. He was, he was half dead, then he looked dead, but they didn't take the time to go over and touch him and check his pulse to see if he was alive. 
Because according to two things, number one, the Mosaic law, if a priest touched a dead person, he was ceremonially unclean for up to seven days. And then, according to the Talmud, even if his shadow, that's why he went all the way around, as, as if, he got, if he got close enough for the sun to hit his body and cast his shadow on the dead man, then it's the same as if he touched him. And so the point is this, just real quickly, it's, and the reason why I've been frustrated with this passage at times is because it seems like, listen, in that moment they chose service to the temple as priority over human suffering. And the reason it's frustrated me is because I've been there myself. I've been there myself because I was concerned about facilitating worship, serving the temple, while I might overlook human suffering or need that is within my ability or within my arm's reach to make a difference. But the Bible told, and Jesus once again, how many of you know Jesus was a masterful teacher? And he used the most despised ethnic group in his area or community, the Samaritans, half Jew, half a mongrel breed to most Jews. And he said, but the Samaritan, the Samaritan, he didn't just go the other way. The Samaritan went down to him. He had resources. He immediately took his own oil and wine, and he poured it, and he bandaged his wounds, and he put him on his beast, and he took him to an inn. And he kept him, and he treated him for a couple of days, and when he got ready to leave, he gave the innkeeper additional money and said, you keep taking care of him, and I'm on a journey. When I come back, he said, I'll even pay for the time that you've invested. Let me tell you, to have pure religion, you've got to do more than just say you have religion. You've got to be vested in the lives of people. Let me, if I can explain real quickly, did you know the word visit there when James used the word visit? When I think of visit, I think about going over to some folks at the church's house that's invited me and Sister Sharita over there. And typically they've got dessert for us and a little bit of tea and it's a fantastic little moment and we just love the church family and we visit and we come. That's not what the word visit means in this text. The word visit in this text means not only do you look upon, but that you look after and that you relieve so it's not just a social visit. So pure religion involves sacrifice. It involves compassion and care and concern. It involves vested time in the lives of others. And let me tell you what's often a hindrance to church folk vesting themselves in the lives of other people. Y'all ready for this? And it's going to really surprise you. Matter of fact, you've never heard, probably never heard a pastor say this. Tithing. Tithing can hinder. Why? What do you mean, Pastor Brown? You just, Jace just stood there and reflected the values of our church when he encouraged you in your tithes and your offerings. Because this is what happens sometimes. When we tithe to the church or we give to a charitable organization, we suppose that our responsibility for mercy has been met and now it falls on the organization. So we just like going into Sam's in the wintertime and the Salvation Army's out there ringing the bell and we put something in the, in the red bucket and we're like, all right, now you go and do merciful works and I don't have to be vested in the life of anybody else. That's not pure religion. Pure religion doesn't fail to give tithes and offerings because we believe in it. Oh man, that's a terrible amen for such a very, very important point. Right, so, so true, pure religion doesn't fail. Now, we, we believe in it, but pure religion is willing to say, you know what, God, the people that you put in my path and the, and the people that are within arm's reach in my life, that, God, if I have an opportunity to do good, 
If I have an opportunity to help them, then God, I've got to be willing to be vested in their life. It demands sacrifice and financial support in our, on our part. In the context of political parties, can I go ahead and address this a little bit for a moment of time? whether you're Republican or Democrat, I believe that there are many within political parties that fight for, for, for the good of others, and I believe that they work for the welfare of others, and, that, and they really have genuine compassion. I believe that. But here's what I've also observed. Many times politicians are quick to spend other people's money rather than their own. Don't tell me that you moved Congress to give this much money to help this organization. I want to know how much you reach into your pocket because that's when I can say, no, you're really compassionate. You're really compassionate when you say, you know what, I'm taking my resources and I'm sowing it or blessing someone else. Government agencies are, sometimes can be similar to the church. We, they can do good things for the fatherless and the widows. But pure religion, pure religion, the people with pure religion are going above and beyond. We're, going, we're visiting, we're looking after theirs, those that are in affliction. So I want to challenge you, I began to, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll come back to that in just a moment. I think it's very, very important, but I want to go ahead and just think about that for a moment. When, when, when James writes this about pure religion, he could have said, man, pure religion is a revival. Pure religion is when people are getting saved. That is pure religion. Pure religion is a revival, and they're getting healed, and people's shadow is, uh, is falling on people, and they're getting healed, and, and there's deliverance, and there's demons being cast out, and that's all good, and I thank God for it. But he didn't say that. You know, I would like to stand up here and say today that whenever I walk down the hospital corridor, that my shadow falls on people that are on the, in the beds of affliction, and they're healed. I can't necessarily say that it's happened. Maybe it has. I, I don't know. But I can say there have been opportunities that I could have done good and failed to do it. That it was within my ability of what God was working in my heart and life. And if I'm really going to express and live pure religion before God, undefiled, a clear conviction that says, God, I am being who you have called me to be, the hands and the feet of Jesus, that I have an opportunity. And when I fail to do it, to me it is sin. And I need to repent of it and say, God, cause me to be aware, more aware of the opportunities that I can have to show other people the love of God. That's pure religion undefiled before God. Let's close with this. The apostle then said, pure religion, and those that have undefiled faith before God, which means unsoiled, have a clear conscience, is walking in holiness. Look what he said this. He said, they keep themselves unspotted from the world. Hmm. Now, that's a powerful principle right there. That draws every measure of my Pentecostal heritage out of me just in those words. He keeps himself unspotted from the world. So pure religion lived out before God through the faith of Jesus Christ is more than simply compassionate benevolence. Are you hearing me today? As you visit and look out and care for one another, widows, orphans, and just the more vulnerable people in the society, I want to encourage you, you better live life guarded. You better live life guarded, unspotted, unsoiled from the world. Our pure religion, listen to this, includes making lifestyle choices every day. Every day that you get up, you say, I'm going to make a lifestyle choice that's going to, number one, glorify God. How many believe that's how you ought to live every day? That the thing that I do, the things that I say, the things that I listen to, the things that I put my hand to, the things that I refrain from, I want it every day, I want it to glorify God. That God can be glorified in all things. Number two, I want to make decisions that are healthy for my own personal well-being. 
Listen, that's why some of the things that we fight and we resist in the, in the, uh, the agendas today that certain people groups have, some of the reasons that we do so is because the, what they're doing is destructive to their own human body. And so we encourage people that, listen, if you're making a decision, it needs to be a decision that, number one, glorifies God, but number two, it's healthy for your own personal well-being. Number three, it doesn't set a stumbling block in, the, in front of others. That's almost lost in our push to be free as Americans, even the American Christian community. We've lost a principle that Paul taught multiple times in his epistles. I might have the legal right to do something, but it doesn't mean I should do something. Because if it casts a stumbling block in front of a younger person in the faith, and they stumble, they see my liberty, and they think that they're, pre- they're prepared to do what I'm doing, you got to live your life. You say, Pastor, why should my freedom be under somebody else's convictions? It's because God brought us all together to care for one another. And I have to, yes, maybe I've got the freedom to do so. Maybe it doesn't make me a heathen. But at the same time, if a young person is looking at my life and seeing my lifestyle choices, and then they in turn make the same choices that I make, and they become, they fall prey to bondage, then I'll be partially held responsible for it when I stand before God. And it's very, very important. And so number four, I believe the pure religion, again, it also keeps me from the vice, the vice of this evil world. Listen to this. Pure religion lived out before God is not just an act of service, compassion, and benevolence, but pure religion includes acts of separation and sanctification. And an old-fashioned word that needs to uh, become more relevant today, holiness before God. The Bible says I'm holy, be ye holy as I'm holy. Most of the contemporary church doesn't even have a clue what holiness is. We have such competing, you know, doctrinal positions on it. Some say it's all about justification. Others say it's all about works. When I read it, I see it's a blend of both. Holiness that I'm set apart for God, sanctification. But it's lived out in my lifestyle choices when I recognize that there is a vice. There's a, we used to talk, in that passage here, it speaks about the world. What's the word world in the original language? It's cosmos. It's re- reflecting the world system. How many know the world system is under the control of demonic powers? The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. And you and I have to recognize that. We're looking for heaven. Let me tell you, we ain't there yet. Right, And there's a lot of influences around us, and you have to live a guarded life. And I'll tell you what, I will always want to stand behind this pulpit and challenge men and women that if you have authentic faith in Christ, you have a pure religion before God, that it's going to be reflected in what you do. Where you go, what you listen to, what you watch on television, entertainment choices, how you clothe yourself, how you dress. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? It's reflected out in every part of your life. I want you to have more than the pure religion t-shirt. Because if somebody were to take this, and some of the contemporary churches today could take a little bit of the hint of my message, we would quickly get you in as a part of the serve team, and we would get you a red shirt that said pure religion, and we would have you out serving, and you'd be reaching out to the, to the, to the people coming into church, or you might be on a visitation team, and you might be on a security team and all that, and that's all good. But let me tell you, we want you to be more than that. We want you to say, it's more than me just being on the serve team. It's about me living a holy life before God having convictions that bring glory to God. It's a, re- it's a revelation of this principle right here. I may be in the world, but I am not of this world. And I want my life to reflect. My pure religion is going to reflect, even if you make fun of me. 
Even if you're a young person, listen, even if you have to stay home on a Friday night where everybody else is out doing their thing, that's all right. There will come a day when you're going to appreciate the fact that your parents gave you a yellow line and a white line and encouraged you to stay between the lines. I, I want you to know my Christian character, my fleshly appetites, my spirit. And I'm not even talking about his spirit. I'm talking about my spirit. It must be pleasing to God and undefiled before the Lord. Listen, if you and I assist hurting, wounded people, and my church clothes get soiled, I'm all right with that. But if I assist the hurting and fall prey to carnal living and ungodly influence, if I develop habits that appease the flesh, I do not possess pure religion. Are you here today? In Ephesians chapter 4, it's a text that I've preached from many, many times. And I want to just echo, I'm not going to go there today, it's just, it, it's not even in my notes. So I, I want to just turn to the passage, I'm going to read one verse real quickly, just to leave it, because I want you to get it, I want you to study this on your own. It says in the 17th verse of the 4th chapter, he said, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth, hence, everybody needs a henceforth moment. Now, in the theological world, there's, there's arguments about sanctification. There's um, sanctification that's called instantaneous sanctification, where you're instantly set apart from uh, sin and the vice and the lure of sin, or progressive sanctification where you're living it out on a daily basis. Whether or not, I don't want to be in the theological side. I'll just make it simple. You need a henceforth moment in your life where you get up and say, you know what? God has set me apart for His glory. And my pure reflect, religion is going to be reflected in what I do. He went on to say, henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk who walk in the vanity of their mind. Listen, this world is gone crazy, right? I'm talking cra- things that, that 60 years ago people didn't even think things that are actually happening right now. It's going to take, it was said on the stage earlier, to walk before God in the generation in which we live, it's going to take a commitment of faith unlike anything you've ever had previously. But you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I want to see men and women be able through their life and their lifestyle, number one, glorify God, right? Number two, testify the goodness of God to the culture. And when you are in and out, hot or cold, and we can put the serve t-shirt on you, and I'll tell you what, and you can be a part of all the motions and activity of church, but if you go out and live like the heathen, then you are defeating everything that we are attempting to do right here. As a matter of fact, even though we might face ridicule from a particular people group, I want you to know most people are just wanting to see, are we authentic? Are we consistent? Many are not even bothered by a life of separation if I'll just be consistent with it. But the problem is, is we're hypocritical, right? We're judging people for one area while we've got a lot of other messed up areas in our lives as well. And so in this text here in James chapter number one, James said pure religion is undefiled before God. It's to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and, and to keep himself unspotted. From the world. It's that important, isn't it? Closing today, pure religion, the words you'd never believe out of me on a Sunday morning, closing to now. Pure religion is not one without the other. It's not one of those things. It's all of those things. How many believe it begins first with faith in Christ? 
Don't tell me that you believe in God. That, that's not sufficient. I thank God. I do. I thank God that we don't live in quite the idolatrous culture that maybe James lived in or certainly Paul when he was in Rome I, I, or Athens or any of those places where there was idols and idolatry. So, yes, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Thank God that you confess that you believe in God. But that's not pure religion. That's not the, that's not the faith of God that's going to see you welcomed into God's eternal kingdom. You have to have genuine, authentic faith in Jesus' death on the tree. We sang the song, What You've Done. He died for you. Because, why did he have to die for me, Pastor Let me tell you, it's going to hurt your feelings, I'm going to tell you today the truth. Because you had sinned and come short of the glory of God. Pastor did I, oh, I was a victim, I was hurt and I was wounded, I was left, I was trafficked, all that. Yes, I understand you might have been a victim in the most difficult and horrific things that my mind can't even imagine. But if you were born of a woman, and yes, I said that, born of a woman, not birthing parent. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go there. But <laughs> let me tell you today, you are still, you are still a sinner needing to be saved. All have sinned, even the hurting, even the vulnerable, even the orphan or the widow that he's writing to. All have put their faith, thank God for Jesus' blood. He died for the religious and he died for the heathen because we had all sinned and come short. So it begins with our faith in Christ. It then go as you have authentic faith in Christ, it begins to be expressed in doing the word. James said, be a doer of the word. Right? Don't just talk about it. Come on. Don't just talk about it. How about you live it? How about you do it? And then especially, man, I tell you what, I could preach all day on bridling your tongue. I could preach all day on the, on the power of words in the home that are hurtful. I know there's a lot in this culture about offensive words and everything. I'm not, I'm not even talking about that right now. I'm talking about when parents curse their children's future. Right, by speaking and sowing negative and hurtful and harmful things into them. You say, Pastor, but you don't understand how my children are acting right now. That's why the Bible says that we call things that be not as though they were. You know what? Your life is filled with sin. That's the reality. Sometimes you're still stumbling. You're struggling. But God speaks over you. He calls you sanctified, set apart, and holy. He calls you made in the likeness and the image of God. He speaks about your future. He takes what's there, and God changes the trajectory of it by speaking the prophetic word over you. How about you parents learn to do that? How about, and when you haven't, I challenge you in the name of Jesus, pluck up by the word of faith every word that you have sown over your children that's been sown in negative unbelief. I, these are not in my notes, but this is a father of six that's telling you from past experience that when the Spirit of God on the inside of you, I know we can get frustrated. I know you can get agitated. Trust me. Me and JoJo went to, JoJo wanted to go to uh, me to take my sons when we, uh, many long years ago to Fayetteville to watch a red-white game of the football team. I told my three sons, I knew it was a tough moment. They were going to be in the back seat side by side for three and a half hours. And I charged them to an inch of their life before we left because I said, listen, you're, we're going, it's a long drive. You want to go. There's not going to be any fighting. There's not going to be. And uh, you know what? Bet somewhere between here and Fayetteville was a daddy moment on the side of the road. And I was unashamed to do it, and I'd do it all over again. Right there. So I know, so don't you start telling me you don't understand. I know, I know. But at the same time, if ever I got in the flesh, and parents sometimes get in the flesh, you get agitated and frustrated, then you better 
pluck up those words that you sowed because pure religion undefiled before God, right? Pure religion is to bridle your tongue. It's to speak life, not death. Are you hearing me today? Those aren't in the notes, but the Lord must want me to say those anyhow. Number four, acts of compassion and mercy are a reflection of your pure religion. If you know to do good and fail to do it, it can be sin. I can totally identify with the priest and the Levite of the story of the Good Samaritan. There have been many times I've been so focused on facilitating worship, facilitating church, and I've missed opportunity to show the love of God. And lastly, a life that's pleasing to God, living a life. So the apostle teaches us. Is Daryl still in the room with me, Shane? Or did he go to the, the choir? Gotcha, all right. So that means you're on the platform. <laughs> the apostle teaches us what is pure religion. So on Friday morning, as I was dealing with my own personal issues, I just said, God, I need something that takes me out of the political realm. I can't be there. God put me into the context that I can say is pure religion. Pure religion. Pure religion. I have a question for you. Do you have it? I could have titled the message, Got Religion? If you do, is it pure? Those are fair questions, aren't they? Is it authentic? Can you examine yourself today? What is God saying to you? I know that when you hear this message, God speaks to you, and he starts reminding you of some things. Pure religion is loving the Lord God through, your, through all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's living a life of faith, justified by faith, and demonstrated by faith. Pure religion is that you give, you love, and you show compassion from his heart of compassion. It's his heart. I have to have his heart. I can't do it in myself. Pure religion is to live a life that's undefiled before God. Pure religion is one who bridles his tongue, who prays and says, God, let my words, if I had the habit of cursing, if I had the habit of telling what the King James says, coarse jokes or foolish jesting, right? Trust me, the preacher has repented many times of foolish jesting. Before I was saved, and even till this very hour can be a smart aleck at times. And I, no, it's a terrible place to say amen. I don't know who said that. I heard three people, I've been waiting for a good amen all day, and all of a sudden, finally, I have open confession here, and my heart's all broken before God. Somebody's like, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> so I know what it's like. So maybe, I was not, a, I wasn't ever a cursor. I wasn't ever somebody that's always cursing people, and telling dirty jokes and all that, but you can be a smart aleck with your mouth and just keep going on and antagonists and things of that nature. And that, I mean, that grieves the Spirit of God. You know, let me tell you, if you're walking in the Spirit, you know. He, in here, it gets, come on, he starts to twist. He starts to grieve. He starts to grieve inside you. Pure religion begins to mature and to grow, and you pray, and you say, God, help me. Help me mature so that the words that I say the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips are acceptable unto thee, O Lord. Come on, somebody. That's pure religion. Do you have pure religion today? As I close the message, I'm going to ask you the hardest question of all. Are you living undefiled before God? 
Is God dealing with you? Teenager, is he dealing with you? Are there things that you're doing that you're, if they could come up on the screen today, you'd be embarrassed by? You hope your parents don't know? You hope your grandparents don't know? Listen, make it right today. Make it, back, in the, back in the old church, the old church believed in conviction. The old church believed that the altar was for people to examine themselves. The altar was where we said, God, here am I, Lord. Purge me and cleanse me. Make things right. Are y'all hearing me today? Pure religion. I want to ask you to stand up with me today. And I'm going to ask you what I think we should do today. It's kind of, I think it's fair. I want to ask all that will to just come to the altar for a few moments and just stand. Just to stand. Just to stand. Pure religion. Pure religion. Undefiled before God. Maybe there's something God's speaking to you that you should be doing. Maybe there's a, a, a vulnerable group or there's a person in your community or your family that you've had the opportunity to do good and you've been failing to do it and God is dealing with you. The moment I began to minister on that subject, along that line, the Spirit of God began to drop that in your heart. Maybe there's an act of service that you know that God is saying to you, well, that's pure religion. Pure religion. I would like to say today that all the gifts of the Spirit are at work in my life. I can't say they are. I tell you, our Bible study, and I hope you're praying with me right now. I'm kind of praying out loud. Our Bible study on Wednesday nights, except for this little break that we're taking while we're dealing with some things very personally to our church, you know, I've been praying more, more, more purposefully and saying, God, I want the gifts of God to be at work. And, and, I, and I said, Lord, so, there's some shallow areas there, some things that I'd like to see. But you know what? Those are divided as He wills. I can't determine whether or not the gift of healing is put in my life. I can't determine whether or not the word of wisdom is given to me. But one thing I can determine is that I can walk in pure religion before God. I can visit the fatherless and the, and the widows in their affliction. I can help hurting people. I can choose to make a, a lifestyle choice that's going to honor God that's not going to set a stumbling block in front of someone. Are y'all praying right now with me? Don't be looking at me, I pray. I pray that you're looking at yourself. You're examining yourself. And I don't mean that in a condemning way. I don't mean that because obviously you need to see Jesus in this moment here today. But the Bible does plainly tell us to examine ourselves. Paul said it this way, whether or not you're in the faith. Whether or not you're in the faith. I think we could say, we could, we could merge Paul and James's doctrine together and say, examine yourself. Do you have pure religion? There was an old song years ago. It wasn't pure religion, but it was called old-time religion. It said, give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It was good for my fathers, and it's good enough for me. Religion, a word that we often run from in the charismatic Pentecostal church. We don't want to be called religious. Maybe we haven't applied it properly. James said to be religious <laughs> And not have vain religion is to bridle your tongue. To be swift to hear and slow to speak, to speak life. And it's to take the resources that God's committed to you and the time and the effort and reach out to the vulnerable in your community and in your family. Even when you don't get the immediate results that you hope you would. You just keep sowing love and you keep showing love. And then it's to have a henceforth moment. A henceforth moment where you say, you know, you know, a couple starts saying, you know, I, I'm kind of tired of the fact that we, we watch this. And, I'm all, and, and, and you know, when we watch it, I, I could just see husbands and wives talking. I feel like I'm speaking a prophetic word to somebody. 
Some of you've watched programs and you've said, and, and you, you know, you've watched it and you've laughed a little bit, and, and then, and then, but you looked over at each other and you've just kind of been grieved and you've known. You need a henceforth moment. You need a henceforth moment where you take the, the courageous faith to start saying, you know what, I don't need that in my life anymore. I don't need that. You know, in order to walk a life that's pleasing before God, sometimes you've got to walk away from some things. God calls you. Pure religion calls you out of things. It separates you from the carnality of this world. Are y'all hearing me today? Are you just praying? Don't make this about me. Make this about you and your faith before God. Your pure, pure religion looks into your own heart, looks into your own spirit. Do you have faith in Christ? That's a fair question for somebody here today. You may have, you may have been the 81%. Maybe you're the 81%. Maybe you're somebody here today. You say, I believe in God. But believing in God is not adequate. That's not pure religion. I'm sorry. It didn't make the Gallup poll. I'm sorry. It's not. You have to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the Messiah. That's the beginning of pure religion, to believe in Christ. He that has the Son has life. Not he that believes in God. He that has the Son has life. Do you have that eternal life today? Do you have the life that comes only through believing in Christ? As a matter of fact, I'm going to pray with you today. If you're, that might be somebody here under the sound of my voice. I'm going to ask our church family to pray and pray audibly with me right now. I'm not Billy Graham, and I'm not giving a Billy Graham altar call, but, altar call, but I am going to give an invitation for somebody to, to, to make a profession of faith. It starts with a confession and a profession of faith in Christ. As our heads are bowed and eyes closed, this is between you and God. Maybe you are literally a part of the 81%. Might be a teenager. You come to church all your life family brought you you believe in God no that's not the question do you have faith in Christ have you trusted him as the atoning sacrifice have you if you haven't pray a simple prayer with me right now and I'm going to ask the entire church family to pray it pray it audibly if you will to yourself before the Lord but audibly say father today I come to you a sinner who acknowledges his sin. Today, Lord, I repent of my sins and I ask you to forgive me. I trust in Jesus. I trust in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I make him my Savior and my Lord. From this day forward, I'm yours and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's pray for a moment. Heads bowed for a moment of time. I'm not, I, know it's probably, I don't know what time it is. I want to give you a moment of time right here, right now, to work out some things about your own salvation. You were courageous enough. I've got my eyes closed. I'm not looking at you. I'm not making it about you. I'm making it about me when I pray privately. You came to this front. You know you didn't have to come. You came on your own. You came because the pastor requested you, encouraged you to, because you saw what the text said, pure religion, undefiled before God, is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us. God, help us today. Help us to have pure religion. 
Pray it with me. I think it's very, Pastor, I don't even like to say the word. I know, I know some of you don't, but it's okay today. I've given you the right context. I'm not talking about a demon named religion. I'm talking about your faith being lived out before God. Pure religion. Pure religion. Father, help me. Help me today, Lord. Help me to live a life that's pleasing to you in every area. Every area. God, not only in separation from that which is sinful, but also when I have opportunity to do good, let me seize the opportunity. Maybe there's somebody I can go and visit. Maybe there's somebody that I can check on. Maybe there's a, uh, someone in my immediate community that I have an opportunity that I know that I should have been doing more in their life and I've been unwilling to do so. Maybe somebody's going to pick up the mantle of fostering like many have in this church in the past. Maybe others are going to help those who have fostered or are fostering or have adopted children. Maybe some are going to come in and give them some support. But maybe others are going to start checking on widows in the church other than just the pastor and a few deacons. Maybe, maybe others are going to say, you know what, I know about sister so-and-so. I know that her car doesn't run well, and I might can help her. Maybe she doesn't need to drive to the store, but I'm willing to go. Whatever that, whatever it is, whatever God deals with you, I'm not trying to dictate it for you. I'm just trying to put you in context as we pray that the Spirit of God will give you the courage. That's pure religion. That's pure religion. It's not just about revival. That is revival. Can I say to you, that is revival. It's more than just about what happens at the front of the church. It's more than just about shaking and falling and dancing before God. It's about being obedient and loving others and being a neighbor, fulfilling the royal law of Scripture, to love the Lord and to love your neighbor as yourself. Close with me now, church family, close with me now, and let's pray a prayer for pure religion in America. Would you on your own, God, let's pray. We pray for pure religion in America. Pure religion in America, God. Pure religion. Not denominational religion. Not contemporary religion. Contemporary church religion. Not the religious religion that we talk about often, and we don't want that either. We want pure religion. We want pure religion that's pleasing to God, that's undefiled. Our conscience is clear. We're loving God, and we're loving our neighbor. Come on now. I believe that. I feel the Spirit of God. I, I haven't felt an altar invitation where there's authentic confession like this in a long time. And I feel it in my spirit right now. God, we're believing for it. This nation needs, Father God, a new measure of pure religion to be lived out in front of it. God, I pray in the name of Jesus. If it starts and commences anywhere, let it commence among us in the name of Jesus. So today, as the pastor of this assembly, I bless all the men and women that have come to this house today, that have stood here and they're praying at an altar, knelt over or standing, God. I pray that you'll bless them, that you'll keep them, and that when they walk out of this room today, God, this message may not have been as evangelistic as some I preached in the past, may not have been as, as, uh, as, as challenging, but it's going to have a greater conviction and will possibly, possibly have greater fruit than any that I've preached in recent weeks as we live a life of faith undefiled before God, a pure religion. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen and amen and amen and amen. Listen, pray as long as you like, but I also want to encourage you in this. Love one another. 
That's fair in him. 